Today's scripture reading comes from Acts 27, verses 10 through 26, and can be found on page 793 in your pew Bible. Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see that this voyage is headed toward damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, open to the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But not long afterward, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and was unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were barely able to get control of the ship. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground on Fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way they were driven along. We took such violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is the word of the Lord. Appreciate Spencer Haynes and Mac Harris who are doing a great job as uh, interns here this summer. Uh, They're holding down the fort uh, this morning as so many of the high schoolers along with uh, Austin, our youth minister, are in South Africa as we speak doing ministry there. About three weeks ago... I was in a little town called Bon Secours. Anybody been to Bon Secours down on the coastline? Neat little town. Think, think Biola Battery, uh, if you've seen Forrest Gump. But it's, it's a great little town. My brother-in-law and I were there to get some incredible shellfish and fish and all kinds of whatever, shrimp and oysters and everything for a big boil that we were going to have. And we always go down there to get it. There's a wonderful Christian family that runs one of the main uh, seafood places down there. And, I mean, you get it fresh right out of, right out of the water. And uh, we were down there, and I never noticed that they had a tall stack of books, and I took one off the top, and it was a Mariner's Bible. Anybody ever heard of the Mariner's Bible? They have copies of it there, and they give them out for free, and uh, it's the New Testament plus uh, Psalms and Proverbs, and there are specific passages that are highlighted in that for people who do... uh, uh, marine life for a living, if you will, you know, fishermen and, and sailors and, and folks like that. And it's interesting. I noticed that uh, 
On the front is, is uh, printed Psalm 107 or a portion of it, uh, Psalm 107, 23, 30, which is a good word of encouragement if you read the whole psalm. Uh, right here, it kind of lets you know that the psalmist was very aware of how terrifying it could be in, in an ancient boat out on the open sea, especially during the chaos of a storm. It says, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, fishermen, folks like that, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. The stormy wind lifts up the waves of the sea. And he describes here the, the, the people who are on the boat. They mount up to the heavens on a wave, and they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. How frightening it is. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Imagine how terrifying it must have been back in ancient days, and yes, in the first century in Paul's day, when you would have a storm at sea. Many of you, I'm sure, have been deep sea fishing, and it's bad enough when the weather picks up just a little bit, and what had been a placid, very still uh, boat suddenly is doing this. And to be in a, in a terrible storm is all the more frightening today. Imagine it in the first century. You know, the ancient rabbis said that there were three places uh, where Sheol actually had a mouth. Uh, Sheol was the shadowy place, the valley of the shadow of death, as it's described in the Old Testament. And the ancient rabbis said there are three places where there's the mouth of Sheol that can lead to Sheol. One is Jerusalem itself, which they said because of, you know, whenever it becomes too pagan. Um, another one was the, the desert wilderness, which was so frightening. But thirdly, and most significantly, significantly, they said the sea, the depths of the sea. That's where the primary mouth of Sheol was. And they associated it with such, such a frightening, frightening experience. And that brings us to Paul's perilous journey, uh, from which uh, Mac and Spencer just read in Acts chapter 27. It was in 1848 that a yachtsman named James Smith, who was a skeptic about the Bible and everything, decided, okay, I'm going to look at the book of Acts, the latter part of it, mainly Acts 27. I'm going to retrace Paul's actual journey, his long sea voyage to Rome, which had a lot of stops along the way. And he actually took what Luke wrote in the book of Acts and, and wanted to see if this really was, was true. And so he made all the ports of call that are described in Acts. Um, he did these soundings to determine the depths to see if Luke's words were accurate about that. Uh, he studied the winds as they are described at different points along the way. He actually uh, studied uh, historical accounts of shipwrecks in first century uh, historians like Josephus and Lucian, just to see. And what he discovered was that it was all not just approximately true, but completely true that Luke's account of this storm at sea was very true, along with the actual trip, the entire trip from where he is arrested in Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Very authentic, very authentic account. Well, what else is authentic in this passage? Well, what is so authentic is Paul's faith even amidst the troubled waters, the stormy sea. It's so interesting to me, as you read this, Paul began as a lowly prisoner on this vessel, he becomes the spiritual captain of the ship at the end of it all. And it's really cool because Luke gives an eyewitness account. This is one of those accounts that you find occasionally in the book of Acts where it's, in a sense, first person, and then we went here, and then we went there. I mean, it's, it's Luke writing himself firsthand, eyewitness to all this. Now, all of us know what it's like to be in troubled water we know what it's like to go through crises along the way. If I were to ask you what your storm is 
right now? You know, what are you facing that, that, that bubbles to the surface, that uh, strikes fear? Uh, is, is it some type of financial situation? Is it a relational issue? Is it some anxiety you're feeling about something that's uncertain? Is it depression? Is it adjusting to a new situation? It could be, as you know, many, many things. But what Scripture is telling us here very clearly is have faith when you find yourself in troubled waters. And note the difference that it can really make for other people, as we'll see. Now, you go back to verse 10, uh, where Spencer started reading. You go to the first few verses, verses 10 through 12, and Paul is a lowly prisoner. And this is a vessel that's sailing up the coastline of Crete. And they stop at a certain point, and Paul says, you don't need to go any further. Uh, don't, don't go any further. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad whether you really shouldn't do it. Well, this captain of the vessel is thinking, who is this guy telling me what to do? Paul warns them, but he does not heed the captain, along with the captain of the guard who was there. And and so they go on. You go to verses 13 through 16, and they're sailing along the Cretan coastline, and things seem to be okay, but then suddenly this typhoon comes across the island. Now, they're on this side of the coast. that The typhoon is coming over this way, so they don't really see just how ominous it is until it goes right upon them, and it is so powerful, it blows them out into the sea. Verses 17 and 20, I think, capture it well, and this leads you to something I put on the outline there. I didn't mean for it to be so bold on the outline, but there it is. Uh, Acts 27, 17 and 20 says, Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Know what they did. They tied ropes around the hull of the ship. Why? They could actually hear the planks down there really trembling, shivering. They were afraid it was going to break. What were they hearing? The shivering of the timbers. This is where you get shiver me timbers. That's what it's talking about there. Whenever somebody says that, it's a frightening moment. Shiver me timbers. It's, and so the timbers are so shaken down there that they wind up taking ropes and trying to fix, keep it fixed there underneath the vessel. So that's where they are, and they're just terrified. And they were feeling so frightened. And this is 276 people on board. Paralyzed with fear, or let me correct that, 275 on board. One doesn't seem to have a care in the world. He is full of optimism, full of hope, full of faith. And it's Paul. How does he remain at such peace? How does he remain so courageous amidst this storm? Well, it is his authentic faith. So let's transfer now into the outline, if you want to follow. Uh, first of all, faith in troubled waters empowers us to stay focused on our mission. Let, let's look at verses 21 through 23, and we'll get to 24 and 25. But look at 21 through 23, first of all. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together, and he basically says, I told you so. He says, man, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but immediately he turns positive. He said, but take courage. (laughs) Imagine this. This would be good news, I think, if I were on the boat, but would I really believe him? But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. How How can he be so confident? What empowers him to be so confident? You know what it is? He has a mission, and he knows that God's going to get him there on that mission. Look at verses 24 and 25. This is how he explains it to them. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. He's heading where? Anybody know? Heading to Rome. 
What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Now, this is great. He says we are going to be shipwrecked, okay? But nobody's going to die. We're going to be okay. How is he so confident about this? Because he knows he has a mission. He knows God is not going to give up on him on this mission. And so he sticks with it. He knows God's going to give him there. It's really interesting. Paul has here a practical mission, which is to get to Rome, and then an ultimate mission, which we'll see. Really, his ultimate mission is what? I want to share the gospel in the center of the civilized world, which is Rome. He wants to get there and share it with as many people as he possibly can. In fact, you need to note, you know, he says here, God told me last night that, that we're all going to be okay, and I'm going to get to Rome to be with Caesar. But you got to know, God had already talked to him about that quite a few times. Look at Acts 19.21. There's a very practical goal here. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem, and what? He quoted, he's quoted, and after that he said, I must go to Rome. That's his practical goal, but again, he has that ultimate goal of sharing the gospel. Fast forward to Acts 23, 11. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul. When did he appear to Paul? Paul had just been roughed up by a bunch of sh- soldiers who had thrown him into a barracks. He's now a prisoner, and he says, be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. There's that calling again that Paul is so sure of. So sure is Paul of this calling. Look at Acts 25, 25. I love this because Paul appears before Herod Agrippa and Agrippa doesn't want to send him to Rome. It's like, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. He's innocent. I don't really have anything to charge him with. I don't want to waste Caesar's time. I don't want to send him, but you know what Paul did as a proud Roman citizen? He appealed to Caesar. And if a Roman citizen does that, you have the right to travel to Rome and make your case before Caesar's. Though Paul probably knows it's going to kill him, but he doesn't care. So he appeals to Rome. Herod Agrippa can't do anything about it. In fact, this is what Agrippa says. In my opinion, he's done nothing deserving death. However, since he appealed his case to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. He has really no choice. Paul is not going to let this get in the way, no matter what. So even here he is on this boat that's being pitched around all over the place. The timbers are shivering underneath, and he says, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. Everybody's going to make it. Everybody's going to make it. And in that faithfulness, he rescues people along the way, 275 people in all. But they don't help him. It's not like they're helping him with this. Uh, The sailors are great. I love verse 30. Uh, they actually <laughs> they act like they're, they're, they're you know, putting the anchors down, but they're not doing that. It says that, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put anchors from the front of the ship. Basically, they're mutinying. Okay, is that a, can you say mutinying? They were in mutiny. And, and they were like, we're going to get out of here. I don't care about everybody else, but let's act like we're throwing anchors down like we were told to do. But let's throw out the lifeboats and let's get out of here. Well, Paul sees that. And, and the soldiers find out. The soldiers are so upset, they go and cut the ropes, and, and the lifeboats just go drifting off. Someone said, ever since then, the Army-Navy game is really uh, an intense thing. Oh, that was so good. Um, okay. But again, he's not worried about this at all. And again, it's interesting, when, when I think of those sailors on that boat, I think about how it, it can be very easy for us when the weather is fair, and we can let our faith be spotlighted in a way that it probably doesn't deserve. But when the storms hit 
A lot of times you and I are ready to abandon ship if our faith is not strong. The only one on deck really who is faithful is Paul. I remember the great expositor Joel Gregory commenting on this, saying, I'd rather sink with a person of faith than try to mutiny with a band of unbelievers. And I think he's got a good point there. But what kept him on deck? Again, it was that singular goal. I need to go to Rome and rescue some people for the gospel. Now, I don't know if this movie has come out yet. Dunkirk, is it out yet? I'm not sure. It's directed by Christopher Nolan, and, and, and I'm sure it's going to be a pretty amazing uh, film. And uh, many of you remember what happened at Dunkirk. This was in 1940, uh, when a total of 338,226 soldiers, allied soldiers, who were backed up against the coast of France. I mean, they were stranded right there. They were caught landlocked. They could not get away from uh, the enemy that was coming along. And so just hundreds and hundreds of, of civilians on the other side of the English Channel took their uh, cruise boats, pleasure boats, uh, lifeboats, fishing boats, and went over time and again and just got as many people as they could on their boats and brought them back. And this was over the course of days. It was from May 26 to June 4th of 1940. No matter how intense, and it got intense out there on the water, especially when they got to the coastline where the enemy was close by, nevertheless, they had that one mission was to rescue that many people, and they did. Winston Churchill called it a miracle of deliverance. They risked everything, but they had that singular goal to rescue folks, no matter how intense. So again, no matter how intense your storm is, the challenge is, can you focus on your ultimate goal? You might even need to make some practical goals on the way that can point you toward that. But are you willing to glorify Christ in all that you do, no matter how difficult the situation is, when you realize that, that a byproduct of that will be rescuing the perishing to some degree? How willing are you to stay focused on that goal? Which is really, when it gets down to it, why you and I are here now, secondly, faith in troubled waters empowers us to encourage others in their storms. You know, the way we respond to storms can encourage others, strengthen them. They see our faith, they became more faithful as well. We become literally, as the old song says, a bridge over troubled waters for other people. We can encourage others in a storm, not just through our words, but really through our actions. Now, Paul, again, if you go back to verse 21, he says, I told you so. But immediately he says, okay, but take courage. You ever, you ever been around people who love to stew in the I told you so? You ever been around that person, you know what I'm saying? I told you that was going to happen. I told you you were going to fall. I told you. And then they'll bring it up again, and they bring it up again, and call it back, and call it back. You know what? Okay, I told you so. Okay, now what do we do now? What's the next thing to do? That's what it means to be a person of mature faith. What are the next practical steps? And Paul realizes the people need to be encouraged, and they actually need to be fed physically. Look at verse 33 through 36. Uh, just as day was dawning, and this was still when the storm was going, Paul urged everyone to eat, okay? He said, you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. And he's basically saying, you better eat some food because you're going to need the energy, because we are going to shipwreck, okay? You're going to have to either swim or grab something wooden that's floating and stay on it, but you need some energy, so let's do this again. I told you so. Okay, here's what we need to do. Eat some food. Eat some food, okay? 
And then he says, I love this, I love this. He actually has Eucharist right there on, on the boat. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then what? Everyone was encouraged and began to eat. He kind of took them to the next thing, helped them to do the next thing. And all 276 of us, Luke was on the boat, who were on board, we were all encouraged. It gave us new life. It gave us new hope. Paul takes that simple step, that simple practical step of feeding the people. And and, and we can encourage people. And again, realizing no matter what, God's mission is going to be fulfilled. Now, this is kind of an interesting uh, lesson here on on, God's sovereignty along with personal responsibility. Did, Did God want that boat to sail originally? No. Paul warned him. But did God want them to sail and get into peril? No. Was it a part of God's plan? No. But did God's purpose work through that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It didn't stop God's plan and purpose. No. In all things, God works for good. Everything that happens in and through those things, God works for good. How do we know? Well, who was on the ship that he still wanted to fulfill that mission in Rome, Paul? You know what else was on that boat when you think about it? Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, he wasn't going to let part of Scripture be thwarted. In fact, when you think about it, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts were still on the boat. He wasn't going to let his purposes be thwarted. He wasn't going to let that get in the way of his purpose. You know, uh, uh, you got the high school, or, you know, high school graduates who are down there in South Africa right now, uh, the intergenerational group, we're leaving on Wednesday uh, for Cape Town, and you know we're going to get on a plane. And it's great because you've got a lot of choices. You can choose to have a pillow or not. You can choose to listen to music or not, or maybe an audio book or whatever it is. You can choose to have a ginger ale or a Coke or water. Uh, you can choose to eat that chicken thing that I'm not sure what it is or the beef thing, I'm not sure what it is. You've got all these choices, Right? And yet, the whole time that plane is traveling to a predetermined destination. And really, that's the way it is with God and His purposes. Yes, we will make bad choices sometimes. But instead of saying, I told you so, or wallowing in in self-pity or fear or whatever, it's time to do the next thing and trust that we're going to get there. God's not going to let His purposes be curbed in any way, shape, or form. Someone said, you know, where God doesn't seem to rule, God overrules. That's one way of putting it. And we should be encouraged by that. You know, nothing's going to get in the way of the mission that God has and our part to be in it. And to be honest, we're just fortunate to be a part of it, of his amazing story. No matter what happens, we are so blessed and benefited beyond measure just to be a part of his amazing story. Which leads to one other thing, faith in troubled waters, empowers us to do what? Give thanks in all circumstances. Let's go back for a second because I love this verse, uh, verse 35, where he gives thanks. Then he took some bread. He said, y'all need to eat. Took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. It's, It's Eucharistic. I mean, he's really celebrating, in a sense, the Lord's Supper right there, and he's giving thanks, offering his gratitude. I just love that depiction. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, I bet some of you know this. In what give thanks? Can anybody fill in the blank? In what give thanks? In all things, in everything. Some translations say in all circumstances give thanks. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the wonderful 
Scottish pastor said, faith is a refusal to panic. And let me take that a step further. Faith is a refusal to be ungrateful, ungrateful even in troubled times. I can't help but see the contrast here between Paul on this boat and do you remember a guy named Jonah? What a contrast. What's interesting is they both had the same call. They both had the same mission. Go and share the good news with the Gentiles. Same calling. In fact, they were both told to sail eastward and take this word to them. Preach it. Same calling. Each time there's a storm at sea, Jonah doesn't stay on deck and remain faithful. He jumps ship and takes a submarine ride. Paul stayed on board. And instead of bailing, he remained not just faithful, but grateful. Uh, If you read all the way to the end of Jonah, Jonah, even as he leads people to God, he's still ungrateful. Read the very end of Jonah. He still has this ungrateful heart, really showing in many ways a lack of faith. And by the way, this is Paul's third shipwreck. You know that. Read 2 Corinthians. I mean, he's already been in two previous shipwrecks. Uh, He's gone through multiple beatings and floggings and imprisonments and threats and snake bites, and the list goes on and on. And yet he remains not just faithful, but grateful. And I do love how it's depicted here in verses 15 through 18 of chapter 4. He's talking to the Corinthians here who themselves are being persecuted, who are going through difficult times, confusing times, uncertain times. And he says, this is all for your benefit, so give thanks. He says, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people because they see your faithfulness even in the midst of your storm, there will be great, what? Thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. And that's why we never give up. There's the key, glorifying God. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze. What's your primary mission again? What's your practical goal and your ultimate goal? We fix our gaze on the things that can't be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. That whole passage is talking about thanksgiving and glorifying God and looking toward that which we don't see but trusting that it's there and that what we're doing is making a difference even in the midst of this storm that you and I might be facing. Stay focused on the things for which we should be grateful. I think it was two or three weeks ago I mentioned a guy named Brennan Manning who's an amazing guy. Speaking of Eucharist, I told that story about when he uh, upended uh, the cup in front of me and thanks be to God and he was just such a a boisterous uh, man of faith. Recently I read an interview with him uh, that was from 2002. What is that, 15 years ago? I read these words and he was just saying this informally in an interview and I thought, wow, does this apply today? And he said this back then, but think about it for today. I believe that the real difference in the American church is not between conservatives and liberals, fundamentalists and charismatics, nor between Republicans and Democrats. I love this. The real difference is between the aware and unaware. When somebody is aware of that love, God's love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, that person is just spontaneously, what? Grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful, and that makes us 
joyful. And folks, if we were to live that way, if we were all to live that way, what an amazing difference that would make. What an amazing array and multitude of people we would rescue on a regular basis, even when you and I are facing storms. I think of two other major people in the history of the church who were facing storms. John Wesley, uh, for example, was on a boat out on the Atlantic that hit a storm, and it just so happened that these German Moravians who were on board uh, had started a worship service, and they started singing some hymns and psalms, and then this terrible uh, wave hit that actually uh, broke up the main sail into pieces of that boat, and so they're just being tossed about everywhere. And, and Wesley recounted that all, all of us English people started panicking and screaming, and we were paralyzed by fear. And he said, I'll never forget looking over, and the German Moravians just stood there. They were still singing their hymns and their psalms very calmly. And, 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 and Wesley afterwards went up, as, as is recounted in this, this, this depiction, he went up to one of them and said, were you not afraid? This was at the, after the storm ended. Were you not afraid? And the man said, no, I was thanking God. Grateful amidst even a stormy crisis. And I'll close with these wonderful words from John Newton, whom you know as the author of the greatest song, Amazing Grace. Former slave trader was on a slave trading ship, and they hit a terrible storm themselves. And it was really being on that ship that led him toward discerning his own humanity and mortality and realizing I need to get my life straight and be certain about what I believe and whom I follow. And that really led to his becoming a Christian and not only that, a priest and obviously a songwriter. And, and reflecting on that event in the boat, he wrote this wonderful hymn called Begone Unbelief. Has anybody heard of this? I, I'd never heard of it. Beautiful, beautiful words. Begone Unbelief. I love that title. And this is how it begins. Begone Unbelief. My Savior is near and for my relief will surely appear. He'll be there for me. By prayer let me wrestle, and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I what? I smile at the storm. Let's pray together. Can we do that, O oh God? Even amidst whatever trials we face, even amidst those matters that make us feel utterly vulnerable and fragile, perhaps cornered, perhaps completely confused, can we continue to smile at the storm, trusting that you are there with us in the boat, no matter what? Give us the faith we are called to have, O oh God, to follow you more fully, even when we face the fire and flood. As we sang earlier, may we trust that you indeed are sovereign, and that we have the blessed assurance, first of all, that we simply be, get to be a part of your story. And secondly, that we get to give you all honor and glory. And because of that, in the long run, your mission will be fulfilled and therefore ours will be. And for all of this, we have reason to give thanks, not just in the future, but now. Make us better, more faithful disciples for you, O oh God, even amidst the perils that we face. We pray these things in your name. Amen.